All right, everyone. Welcome to Magnifying God. I'm your host, Adam Michael. Today, we are going to be talking about this book, Prepare to Overcome. We're going to be dissecting this book. We finished part one, section one, which was equipping the saints. And now we're moving into part two. We just started part two last time. And in this part two, it starts with the royal priesthood. And Debbie Simpson gave a wonderful introduction to what this means, what this looks like, what this royal priesthood section is going to look like. And then she started right off with chapter 12, which was the priest of God and dissected the tabernacle, how there's an outer court, an inner court or holy place. And then there's the most holy place, which is the oracle. And God's call is for all of us to be in that holy place, that oracle of God. And that's where he speaks to us. That's where we become one with him. That's where this intimacy happens. That's really where we, this transformation starts happening in our life, where we then represent God or represent God wherever we go. Because there's nothing left of us. We've denied ourselves to the point where there's nothing that this world has to offer. That he, being God, is our everything because he's our only. And then with that comes this responsibility. And that's really what it means to be a priest. First off, the priest, we find out, the Levitical priests didn't have land in the promised land. They weren't given land. The 12 tribes were given land, but the Levitical priests were not because God was their inheritance, which that's what eternal life is. It's knowing him. It's spending time with him. On top of that, they were the closest in proximity to God and they were to make sure that people weren't just going to run into that outer court, inner court, holy of holies place. And they were to take out anybody that would approach that. They, they would have to. They'd remove them. And they'd kill them in some cases. So you really, they, it was really a, a high call and a responsibility. Now, with that being said, we are called into a royal priesthood. But there are some qualifications that go along with this. And we find that out in chapter 12. The first part, we talked about the tabernacle. That was in the last episode. In this one, we're going to be talking specifically about the priests and their qualifications, which happens to be mentioned in Leviticus 21. We're going to be walking through these qualifications. And these were, back in the day, physical pictures of a qualification. And now what we're, we're looking at is these were also physical pictures of a spiritual truth that's happening right now. Because if we're called into this royal priesthood, we need to know what this, these qualifications are and how to walk in accordance to these qualifications. Now, keep in mind, with qualifications and with these priests, now let's say these qualifications, you start realizing what this actually looks like. Now, the Lord will give you more responsibility. 
which is exactly what happened. You've got these duties of the priests that they had to do and they had to fulfill. And these duties were so important to the kingdom, to Jerusalem. Well, now the kingdom is at hand. God's government is at hand now. We have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God did not hold back. He rendered the veil. We are able to, to, have, to go to him. We're in a time that all of the prophets were yearning for. Everybody was waiting for what the time that we're in right now. They're waiting for this opportunity to be in relationship with God. He has given all of us that opportunity now to walk as a high priest. We have a choice. We have a choice right now. Do we want to just be sitting on that in the outer court or in the holy place? Or should we be in the most holy place? It comes down to how much do you want to give up of your life? He's asking for you to be a living sacrifice. Are we willing to give it all for him? With that being said, I've got Debbie Simpson on the line. She is going to be expounding on this idea of priests, the qualifications, the responsibilities. And with that being said, Debbie, I can hear you. I know you're there. So uh, my question to you uh, is, uh, what, what are these qualifications I mentioned in Leviticus uh, 21 and how and how uh, are they still alive today? Well, we'll go into that. So thank you. Um, yeah, and as we step into this section on the qualifications of a priest, um, I just want to make the disclaimer here that this material is from a sister in Christ through revelation from God. Her name is Perry Hill, and you can find all of her information on her website, a word in due season.com. Again, her name, Terry Hill, and her website is all one word, all lowercase, a word in due season.com. So Terry is a proven messenger of the Lord, and I encourage anyone listening to go to her website to investigate this for yourself. Her message was to me the confirmation and the second witness to what God had already been instructing me through my studies and through prayer. And as I was seeing these things, I was crying out. I'm like, Lord, I need a second witness. I need somehow to understand that where your spirit is leading me is actually true. So I want to make clear that this section of the book is unique and that it is based more on a Rima word of God than the Logos word. And what that means is that it is by revelation from God. And as you are reading the, the manuscript, um, Prepare to Overcome, there's an entire section that goes into the Rima word, what it is, why it is, how it is, so that you have a firm foundation to understand where 
and what place this has in your life. But suffice it just for the sake of time in this podcast, I'm just going to recap briefly that it is um, revelation from God. That is that it is a communication of knowledge, instruction, the disclosure of truth concerning divine things by God through his Holy Spirit. This is a biblical definition. Okay, and by definition, the Rima word of God is always in agreement with and in subjection to the Logos word or the written word. It will not be in conflict. As I was listening to Terry's message, the Spirit of God bore witness with my spirit of the truthfulness of the message that I had received. And the burden of the Lord was upon me to include this message in the book. That being said, I would advise and strongly exhort every person to take what has been penned in this section of the book and to take what is being discussed in this podcast today to the Lord in their own prayer chamber and ask God for personal confirmation. As has been stated in previous podcasts, we are in the last days and both deception and true instruction will come from teaching within the body of Christ. It is imperative that each believer verify and confirm for himself that teachings taught are truth. And this can only be done in the place of intimacy, the place of prayer with God himself. And it is only God's confirmation that it is the truth that will give every believer the confidence to allow a rima word to be built into his spiritual foundation and woven into his identity as a believer. So that's what I want to establish before we move on. As, as you've read through the, 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 the book, if you've got it, there's a lot of interpretation with this that really does not have a scriptural foundation. However, the interpretation will never conflict with what God is calling his people to do and to be. So as a side note, I'd like to address the topic of the Rima Word of God and that, as I have said, this is not the topic of this podcast, so I'll keep it short. Okay, perhaps, Adam, we can discuss this more fully at another time, but first, the Rima Word of God is identified as a part of a believer's walk about 60 times in the New Testament. Anywhere, second point, how do we know it's a, it's a talked about? Because secondly, it's closely associated with the spiritual revelation, either through Jesus or his, or his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. By definition, third, by definition, it is an utterance. That is, it is a type of divine communication that is an adjunct to the written word. And as we have talked about in our previous podcast with regarding, regarding the spiritual-minded man, the spiritual-mindedness, and all the definitions um, that clarify what it means to be spiritual, this word rima is the means of disclosure referred in God's word by any verse that would reference a spiritual wisdom, mystery, revelation, enlightenment, or understanding. As we have in previous podcasts um, 
dug into the definitions, the common denominator for the definitions of spiritual wisdom, mystery, revelation, enlightenment, understanding, the common denominator in each and every one of those divisions is it's an illumination by God himself. It is a communication by the spirit of God. It is outside of human instrumentation. It is outside of what man can learn for himself through his carnal understanding. That was only made known by God through his spirit, which takes us back to 1 Corinthians 2. 9 through 16, the spirit of God searches the mind of God, and he, the spirit of God reveals these things to the spirit of the man who is spiritually minded, the more, one more ready to apprehend divine things, as is God's expectation of us. All these things that we've talked about, the really, this, this is what surrounds that realm of word of God. We talked about in John, where uh, I think it was 4, 23, and 24, that God desires true worshipers and he defines a true worshiper as one who worships in spirit that's that's how the spirit he operates in the rima and in truth that which is in accord with the divine nature so as we go through this and we're looking at the interpretations of these verses that are based on a rima word ask yourself are these things written as interpretations from terry hill are they in agreement with the divine nature? Are they in accordance with the divine nature? Then that helps you be discerning that this is in agreement with, in subjection to the word of God, and therefore qualifies to be believed and woven into a foundation that we can stand on. Finally, the validity of the rim of word as a legitimate means of communication between the spirit of God with the spirit of man has been established in the Old Testament pattern. We touched upon this in the podcast prior. The Urim and the Thummim in the breastplate of righteousness is a physical picture of the Holy Spirit residing in the hearts of a New Testament believer. And in the, low, in the oracle of God, the tabernacle, keep in mind that we are the temple of the living God. And at temples, you know, the Holy Spirit resides in us. And in this oracle, both the Logos word, the Ten Commandments on the tablet of stone, written word of God, and the Rima word, the Urim and the Thummim, were found in the oracle of God. And both were used by God to communicate his divine counsel to his high priestly servant for divine instruction to be implemented in the earthly realm. How many times do we read in scripture that they didn't know whether to go to war? So they got out the Urim and Thummim, and they brought it before the Lord. And this is also discussed in the book um, in another place as we delve into the Rima word and the Urim and the Thummim. There are, there are scriptures there that identify where the people went to the Lord, and they, they said, should we do A, should we do B? And they brought out the Urim and the Thummim, and that was used to guide and direct them to the will of God for specific purposes that weren't necessarily inscribed on their tablets of stone. But everything that they were told to do would have abided by the law of God, to have no gods before them, to not lie, to not, not murder, you know, not covet. So they would have worked in conjunction. These verses, as we go through this section, are Logos words, the scriptures of Leviticus 21, verses 6 through 20, with Rima word interpretation for New Testament application 
of the Old Testament principles. And that's a mouthful, but it's truly what this is all about. So we've got the scriptural witness in Leviticus 21 with the Rima word interpretation so that as New Testament believers, we can apply in principle what is pictured in these requirements. And if we're able to receive this and do this, then we are going to become qualified as priests. As we study Leviticus 21, as we study the Leviticus 21 requirements for this priesthood, the backdrop is set in verse 6. This is the why. So Leviticus 21 verse 6 says, They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. Why? It continues, for they present the offering by fire to the Lord, the bread of their God, so they shall be holy. Why shall the priest be holy? Because they present the bread of God. Bread is an Old Testament picture of the spiritual truth. We all know the story of the five loaves and two two fish in John chapter 6. All right? So we look at um, John chapter 6, and what is his concern in verses 20, in 12 and 13? Well, he says to his disciples, go and gather up all the fragments of all the bread that nothing may be left behind. And, now, and I remember asking God, what's the deal? I mean, if they're starving people in China, then why aren't we picking up the fish? The only thing that Jesus was worrying about was gathering up the, the, the fragments of bread, and so they gathered up. And when they were done, they had 12 baskets filled with fragments of barley loaves. So what's the big deal with gathering up the fragments? Well, if we turn um, to the next page in our scriptures, we find in John 6, verse 51, Jesus answers the question. You know what he says? I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So this is what we're seeing as the foundation and the backdrop for the qualifications for the priesthood, all right, that Jesus is the bread provided by God um, and that this is the bread that the priests are presenting. Knowing the truth of this and understanding the magnitude helps to clarify the significance of walking in conformity to these mandates. Keep in mind, the context here are those in the assembly who would be priests of God, protectors of sacred space, protectors of sacred things. These are those whose intentional volition it is to maintain the sanctity of the sphere of the divine among men. These are those presenting the bread of God. These are those presenting Jesus. And that is the backdrop of the context for these requirements. They themselves must remain holy because if they're, you know, for them to be qualified to handle these sacred things, lest they profane them with their own selves or with their own presence. So, you know, if we have dirty hands, it's going to be a given that what we offer becomes dirty. As we progress through this study 
you know, on the priesthood, what we're seeing here is that what God is requiring is that his people walk in this tabernacle in a manner that pictures the reality of the significance of the standards that God himself has required, and they walk in obedience to these. Basically, you cannot handle holy things with dirty hands without dirtying up the holy things. So God has shown us in his qualifications how our hands are dirty. In other words, if we have messed up walk or a messed up understanding, we're going to teach a messed up walk, and we're going to serve as an example, a messed up understanding. Well, that would disqualify us from presenting the bread properly, Jesus properly. So what has God identified as areas that would be stumbling blocks if present in our lives or true regarding our persons? That's what this is all about. So it says in verse 7, he shall, take, he shall not take a woman, Leviticus 21 verse 7 as we go through these qualifications, he will not take a woman who is profaned by harlotry, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for he is holy to his God. So what we're seeing here is a priest of God shall be married to that which is pure. A priest of God cannot be profaned by harlotry. If we are a priest of God, we cannot be joined to that which is unclean or that which is defiled. That would be harlotry. They shall not take a woman divorced from her husband. And anyone who knows the Old Testament laws, that if a woman, you know, if, 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 a, if a husband died, then she could legally be remarried without problems. And what we're seeing in our walk is that when we come into a covenant, we, we die to ourselves. Our old man is put to death. And we're raised to a new life. We're raised to a new man. And now we're qualified. Our new man is now qualified, you know, to be a priest because we are not, we, we are, we, we are not divorced from our old life. We're dead to it. And we are not joining ourselves with a second belief system being harlotry or being harlots. So another qualification. Verse 18, no one who has a blemish shall approach to offer the bread of their God. So this just is a symbolic of a major character flaw. It's an outward external condition, but it pictures for the New Testament believer character flaws, okay? Or any deformity or defect that might reveal a faulty spiritual condition. Again, this would be something that would cause us to um, be, be operating with dirty hands or contaminated hands so that when we touch the bread or handle the sacred thing, that becomes contaminated. It says in verse 18, no blind man shall approach to offer the bread of, the, of his God. So what we're seeing here is that the condition pictured is that they cannot be blind a blind man cannot accurately see the truth of god's word 
his perception is darkened. There is no spiritual revelation enlightening the eyes of his understanding. He is spiritually blind, and he is walking without the spirit of revelation knowledge. So that's the Rima word interpretation of, of this. Well, does it, you know, does it come in conformity with the scriptures? Well, it says, let no blind man. We see in Ephesians 4, 17, it says, no longer walk in the futility of your mind, being darkened in your understanding because of ignorance. Right? So what we're seeing here is an agreement to the conformity of the obedience to Ephesians 4, 17. But rather, Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 says that the Father of glory, that the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know the hope of his calling. So we're seeing that blindness in this situation of believers in the New Testament who are walking in obedience to these words. And we discussed all the biblical definition of enlightenment and revelation. Colossians 1, 9 and 10 also speaks of a believer not walking as one who's darkened in his understanding or blind. For this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. These are all things that would verify that you are not blind by their definitions. Why? It goes on to say in verse 10, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. This would be the ministry of the priesthood. We go on to verse 18 continues. No layman shall approach to serve him as priest. Okay. The, the lame man is a person whose spiritual lame is one who's always dependent on someone else to carry him. We all know people like this. They always need help. They always need a word. They always need prayer. They're always calling you and asking for help. And, and they don't seem to be able to grow up beyond Christianity 101. This is, and, and we see people like that. They have not grown up in their maturity. He lacks the ability and the full commitment to carry out the full message. And he depends on other people to carry him. He cannot walk out the victory. So, um, and Terry, you know, gives the scripture, Hebrews 12, 13, make paths, make straight paths for your feet. So, this is another qualification that we want to recognize. Is this me? Am I someone who's always dependent on someone else? Do I lack full commitment? Do I not carry out the full message? It's not, we, we need fellowship. It says he depends on other people to carry him. And he cannot walk out the victory. We do need to depend on other people. And it's through fellowship that we, we do attain to our victory. But this layman, it's as if, he needs carried. It's as if he needs someone else to do the work for him. That's what this is saying. And we all know people like that. The question is, is that us? Is that us? Verse 18, no flat nose. This is um, 
a spiritual, oh, that's what I'm looking for, symbolic, spiritually symbolic of discernment. The nose was the instrument of, of spiritual discernment, and it pictures the ability to distinguish between purity and defilement, the genuine and the counterfeit. And anybody who understands that it is a duty of the priesthood to maintain sanctified space, it could be easily recognized how important being able to discern the profane from the holy would be. If we cannot recognize false, falseness when we see it, we would then allow the sphere to be contaminated. So we see in Hebrews 5.14 the exhortation. It goes on to say, um, solid food is for the mature because of practice have had their senses trained to discern good and evil. We see here that this flat nose would be a result of, of not being able to discern by virtue of immaturity. If we go up to verse 13, it says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food, that word is meat, is for the mature because of his practice has had their senses trained to discern good and evil. So the mature, the one more ready to apprehend divine things, how come he's mature? Because he's eating the meat of the word. The meat of the word is walking in obedience. Jesus says, I have meat to eat that you do not know of. My meat is to do. So the milk is highly um, desired. You know, Peter says, desire the milk of the word. But we just can't stop there. People come and they say, oh, that was a really meaty sermon. Well, that's impossible. A sermon would be teaching, and teaching is milk. Meat is doing the sermon. And it's only in doing the sermon that we become full-grown to maturity that then results in the discernment being cultivated in our lives. So the flat nose then it's something that if we are unable to discern the spirit or to be discerning, we would then have to be disqualified from the priesthood because we would not be able to recognize profanity when it is coming into the sphere of the holy. We couldn't protect it. So, so we're disqualified. Only those who could protect that sacred space are qualified you know, to guard it. Verse 18 continues, nothing superfluous. What is superfluous? It's an excessive growth. You know, think of tumor. So what is, um, what is revealed here is that it is the excessive growth in one area to the exclusion of normal growth in the other areas. In the life of a believer, to some aspects, to God's word, over others. And we've talked about this. We had a whole entire lesson on the carnal-mindedness, where the superfluous would be an excessive growth, where as believers, we are excessively focused on whatever our church normally does. You know, you name it. I, you know, I, maybe it's Bible studies, or maybe it is luncheons, or you know, maybe it is children's ministry. Nothing wrong with that. 
But what this is talking about is if that's all your church is doing to the degree that other portions of God's word are being neglected and they're being annulled, now are we laying hands on the sick? Are we walking as ambassadors of the kingdom? Are we stopping the kingdom of darkness encroachments on the kingdom of light? If we're not doing those things, then by virtue of definition, these other good things have become excessive to the point that they have crowded out our time, our attention, and our growth of maturity into kingdom of God um, commitments and requirements to operate as his citizens of his realm. So, and we talked about the scriptures that talk about, you know, the leaven. It talks about beware the leaven. What does leaven do? Well, leaven causes something to grow up, to become, you know, more excessive in growth. So we can't allow that leaven. Deuteronomy 4.2 and Revelation 22.18, both of them, the beginning of the scriptures until the end, it says, if anyone adds to or takes away from the words of this book, woe is he. So that's this, this, if you are a priest, or if you are wanting to lay claim to the title of priest, and you have superfluous things going on in your life, you're adding to or you're taking away, I think it's pretty obvious how you would not be qualified to handle the bread of God. You would not be qualified to handle Jesus. If you're adding to what he said, you're contaminating the message. If you're taken away from what he said, you're contaminating the message. You're not handling Jesus well. Because, in this case, of the superfluous trait going on in your walk, you're disqualified. We would all be disqualified for that. And we've all done this. Let me be clear on this. This is something we have all these qualifications this is something we all have done and this is things we all are doing that's the point this is the why because the these understandings this is the foundation that's absent altogether and god is relaying this this these lessons this is god relaying the foundation stones and he's going to begin to build on them and, and this, this is what this is all about, learning and receiving and repenting and asking God, go to your prayer chair. You need to ask God for confirmation on this. But this is the, the direction that this is coming from as these words are penned in this book, that this is one of the foundation stones actually completely missing, the sanctity of God and the requirements of his people to come into sanctified spheres to minister to him at a deeper level as a high priest, not just running to him because you need help again today. Daddy, 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 help me, help me, help me. I'm hurting. I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm what we all have been there. That's everyone's starting point. And to some degree or another, we will always need to go to God for help to be our very present help in time of need. But growing up next to that should be an equally matured who comes to him fully clothed in his royal priestly raiment, saying, I am here to serve you. I will establish your kingdom governance, and I will not tolerate encroachments by the kingdom of darkness or by virtue of the fact that I'm there. It will be destroyed. And this is what this high priestly office does, and this is what God is growing his people into in addition to those times when we come before him in need and he's there 
Verse 19, no broken foot. Okay, the broken foot is one's inability to walk in a consistent manner. He falls easily, he's continually up, then he's down. He lacks the ability to run the race. He's jerked around by the emotions of the moment. One day he's all about victory in Jesus, and the next day he's walking in defeat. We've all been here. This is growing up out of this. But what's what's the call here? That we are to be given, even in Psalm 18, hind feet to walk on high places, all right, and to navigate the heights of the kingdom of God, all right? If a person has a broken foot, he cannot navigate the heights of the kingdom. He's always found in the lower realms. The height, What are the heights of the kingdom? We've talked about this, but let's give it a different, a, a, a different label. The heights of the kingdom, that's walking in a spiritually minded man. That's walking in the fullness of the spirit with all of its associated definitions. One of the broken foot, he's unable to handle those sacred truths. So he's always found in the lower realms. What's the lower realms? That's the carnal mind, the carnal understanding. It's one who operates according to what can be understood by the, the experience of man by the knowledge of tree from the eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we don't want a broken foot. We go to Habakkuk, you know, in, in uh, Habakkuk, it talks about um, chapter three, I believe verse 19, God makes my feet like hinds feet on high places. But it also talks about in Habakkuk two, how we are, the watchman on the tower. So we're up high. A broken foot cannot attain to the heights. Verse 19, no broken hand. The hand symbolizes relationship, ministry, fellowship, and service. With a broken hand, you cannot maintain the covenant agreement with others. And typically, the reason the hand is broken, it's because of injuries sustained from ministry. We all know that um, when we go into ministry in the church, we get hurt by other believers, by the pastors. You know, we all have experienced injuries sustained in ministry. But if we allow these injuries to keep our hands injured, we will not be able to wield the sword of the spirit properly. And when we do spiritual warfare, we're, we're going to suffer loss because our broken hand cannot properly handle the sword of the spirit for protection and for victory. These injuries need to be healed. Again, that brings us back to the first section of the book, our identity in Christ, our authority in Christ. These injuries very often have you know, a root of a demonic attachment, offense, you know, unforgiveness, hurt. That, that needs to be cast out so that we can be healed. Then as we do that, we are navigating these holiness zones, getting greater and greater proximity to God because by virtue of the absence of profanity, we now are walking in greater sanctity. It's not just about what we're getting. It's not just about what we're attaining. We're not just attaining greater sanctification. It's what are we getting rid of? We're getting rid of profanity. So by virtue of the absence of profanity, we walk in greater sanctity, which becomes more and more qualified 
to handle the holy objects well and be in closer proximity to a holy God. Verse 20, no hunchback. One who is a hunchback does not have a healthy backbone. This person in his spirit will sway and will bend under pressures and trials. This hunchback character trait would would um, picture one who lacks a, a strong spiritual or moral foundation. He's wishy-washy in his faith, tossed about to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We talked about that in a carnal-minded man. There's no firm biblical foundation established in his life. Therefore, he's bound, bent over. He has a tendency to look down upon the earthly realm. What's that mean? He has a tendency to walk in carnal-mindedness as opposed to looking up towards the heaven, as opposed to walking in a manner that's spiritually-minded, supernatural, spiritual. Okay? No dwarf. One who is stunted in his spiritual growth and development. This would be due to the deception, which we've been talking about, the deception that would keep us as babes in Christ, as children, not growing to the full stature that we've talked about in Galatians chapter 4. No blemished eye. This eye is not the blind eye that lacks revelation knowledge. Rather, this is the eye that is diseased. And that blemished, diseased eye we see it in Matthew 6:23 and Luke 11:34. It's the eye that is not clear. That word clear means single. What they're saying with this blemished eye is you're double, you have double vision. This person operates as a double-minded man. He operates both as a carnal Christian and as a spiritual Christian in syncretism, operating both two opposing ideas, and he brings them together and makes them unified. And, and they do not walk in conformity nor unity. 2 Kings 17, 32, 33 bears witness to the fact that this is done in the assembly of God when it says, They, the Israelites, feared the Lord God and served their own gods according to the customs of the heathen. So this is something that we do. We walk as believers while at the same time indulging the idolatry in our life. Unfortunately, this would also qualify the believer to be labeled a harlot. Again, you're disqualified from this degree of, of sanctification, intimacy, and rank in the kingdom, though you're still highly valued and you're still a member of the assembly. You're just going to have to stay either in the outer court or possibly, you know, in the, in the, the, the holy place in various ways. No scurvy. We all know that scurvy causes itch, itching ears. You're wanting, you know, um, um, prosperity gospel. There is no appetite for the meat of doing the word of God because with scurvy, you lose your teeth. So you can't eat meat. You can only the milk. You're constantly learning, 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 all about learning, always learning. But when it comes to actually going out and doing, you cannot, or you do not. Well, then you cannot eat the meat of the doing. And you would have a character trait that is common in common with scurvy, no teeth. You've lost your teeth. So um, the believer who feeds only on the milk of the learning of the word versus one who has um, walked in the, the meat of the word. And we've talked about that in Hebrews chapter 5 and 13 and 14, that the babe is only accustomed to milk. So with regards to the scurvy, 
we saw that the babe who was operating a milk and not the meat and that the meat was what caused the discerning to be developed in their lives. So if you are a believer who's operating with scurvy, you would also qualify to have a flat nose. So we can see how all of this is very, very important. Again, these interpretations by Terry Hill from her oracle that she shared on her website that God brought to my mind are in agreement with the written word of God. They do not conflict the word of God in any way. No scabs. Scab is the inward uncleanness. And um, it takes us to Leviticus 14 with regards to the law of leprosy. And we see with leprosy that leprosy is an outward visible sign of an inward spiritual corruption. That's what the physical leprosy is. It's an outward sign of an of the disease under the skin. We see with this leprosy that it begins small and gradually spreads. That picture sin. It corrupts man's inner character and then eventually corrupts with outer disfigurement. That's sin. It starts off hidden, but in time will erupt for all to see. That is sin. So when you've got an inward uncleanness, when you're harboring sin and you know it, we all harbor sin, and then when God reveals it, we repent of it, and we kick it out forever, or we grow up out of it. But when we are harboring sin, and we know it, and we're choosing it, and we are protecting it, then we are guilty of, of um, falling prey under the repercussions of the law of leprosy. You know, we are disqualified. No broken stones. This depicts the reproductive glands in a man's body. So what we're talking about here is one who may be in the body of Christ, who's polished, educated, interesting, charismatic, and they can speak and keep you completely engaged. But when they're done talking, there is no life-changing words coming forth from their character or their life. There is no supernatural ability to reproduce life. They have a form of godliness, but they deny their power. For this reason, they cannot offer they cannot offer the bread of life. Okay, they cannot offer the bread of life when they cannot reproduce life. Okay, so God has mandated through His Word and has equipped us through Christ to fulfill the qualifications for those who administer before Him as priests. What must not be lost is the understanding that it's man's responsibility to choose to attain to meeting these requirements. 2 Timothy 2.20 says man must purge himself of these things. We need Christ to purge it. We need Christ to show us these things, and then we need Christ to help us purge them. But only we can give Christ the permission to do that. We have to give him permission to show us, and we have to give him permission to clean us. So we see that the duties of the priests would be done if we are walking with these qualifications by, by default. If you're walking with these qualifications, you will be treating God as holy. You will be ministering to God. You will be remaining holy and keeping yourself holy. You will be able to teach and give instruction. You will be making a distinction because of your discernment. You'll be making a distinction between the holy and the profane. Okay. You will be enforcing the law and turning back iniquity. You will be interceding between God and man. You will be offering sacrifices, leading in worship, and making atonement. These are all the duties of a priest 
And because you will have grown up in maturity, you'll be able to operate as a high priest because the qualifications are present in your life and therefore these duties are being done. So just in conclusion, if as a believer we're quick to lay claim to the title royal priesthood of 1 Peter 2.9, then we must also apply to ourselves the remaining requirement, a people for God's own possession. And we need to go to first use. Where is that phrase first using scripture? God himself defines for us whom he chooses to be a people for his own possession in Exodus 19.5. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. So we see here that the qualification for being this people of God who are the royal priesthood is to keep and obey covenant. That's that entire first section is where that began, and now we're continuing. We look at the qualifications for a priest. Are we keeping and obeying these? Then we qualify to be a people for God's own possession by his own definition in Exodus 19. And therefore are qualified to be labeled royal priesthood. So what God pictures in the priesthood and in the tabernacle is the heavenly realities of levels of glory, assigned tasks or roles, authority given, and power conferred. Power authority, right? All this is based on faithful, obedient, overcoming. So those are the things that um, are being revealed through all of these scriptures. The royal priesthood requires excellence, purity, discipline, and a person who reflects Christ, free from blemish, mature. Hence, all the many exhortations found in scripture that we need to purify ourselves. We need to purge ourselves. It's no accident that we see these rankings, these degrees of maturity, and these levels of intimacy woven throughout the scripture. And Adam, you talked about this at the very beginning, and then I'll end with it. Book ends. How often did Jesus say the kingdom of God is like? And then continue with an example that gives us a glimpse of what goes on behind the celestial curtain. The wedding guest, the bridesmaid, and the bride. They're all present at the wedding feast with differing positions of rank. We all read in the Gospels, those who bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. We read in Mark, the stalk, the head, and the full kernel. These are all points of progression of maturity. So that's, you know, that's just confirmation and validation of the ranking of God in his kingdom. And, it, and Jesus you know, referenced it as he talked about the kingdom of God. So that's... That's the second portion of this scripture. It talks about um, the, the foundation that's, that's been missing, and God is relaying the foundation, and we're going to continue to build on that, that new foundation stone that is being laid in his word, by his word, regarding that which is missing, the sanctity of God, and the requirements of those who would draw near. So that's it, Adam. No, that's really good, and uh, I know there's a lot of information there, and you know, feel free, go to the Scriptures and, and ask the Holy Spirit for revelation, for Him to open your eyes to these things. Um, it is definitely an upward call. It is a call to that oracle. It is a call to those uh, the responsibilities and the qualifications of the priests. Uh, I can't stress that enough. 
the more you start getting closer to the Lord, you start getting closer to him, you start realizing things in your life that need to get taken care of. And if they're not taken care of, if you're not obeying, if you're not walking the same walk as Jesus did, there's something that's hindering you that the Lord is going to expose. Of course, it's it's never being content at where you are. You always want to keep pressing forth. Remember, this is a race. This is a race, and we need to be walking with God through it. And if we don't, if we think we got this, I got it, those are dead works. Those are works in the flesh. That is what, in essence, is pride, and pride comes before the fall. And there are things that are going to be happening uh, that we are going to need him every step of the way. And it's about that discerning voice, that, that Rima voice that is so important because his sheep will hear his voice. His sheep will hear his voice. And that's through that intimacy. Just like when my wife, out of all these people, let's say there's a hundred women, I will know my wife's voice. I even know, I even know from a standpoint of sometimes my wife has sisters and I, I love them to death. And there are times when they'll pick up the phone and answer and they're like, say hello. And I know right away. No, that's not my wife. And it's so important that you are able to discern these things. And keep in mind, you know, her sisters sound very much alike. They're in the same family. But it's about knowing the very voice of the Lord. Because the enemy will disguise themselves and whisper the same things. But you will know the stranger's voice. And you will know the shepherd's voice. And you will run. The sheep will run away from that stranger. And this is a time when we need to be meditating on the word day and night. We need to be searching him. We need to be looking and reading scripture. Not to know scripture, but to know the God who wrote that scripture. It's so important, and I can't stress it enough. I say it time and time again. The one thing he is calling us to is intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. He wants us to be with Moses on that mountain, at the top of that mountain. He wants us to be in that oracle, in the most holy place. He wants us to be in that inner three, the Peter, James, and John. He, that's what he wants us to be. That's where he wants us to be. And that's what we're called up to be. So with that being said, thank you so much, Debbie, for just everything that you're doing. Honestly, it, it's, it's amazing. And I always look forward to our conversations that we do have. And you did a fantastic job of opening our eyes to this Leviticus uh, chapter um, because it, it is, it's so jam-packed. I mean, Leviticus is so jam and it's so quickly how we just kind of overlook things. But in Leviticus 21, it gives us this idea of, of priests and the qualifications of them. And then you did a great job at explaining this, the spiritual truth behind this physical um, explanation. And yet again, uh, for anyone who's listening, go to the scriptures, go to the word, 
and and have that Holy Spirit unpack these things for you. He is the author of the book. Might as well go to the author to understand what the author is trying to say. And being still, being silent before him is so important. Is so important. Uh, but with that being said, we have we're moving on now. Uh, that was prepared to overcome. That was chapter twelve of prepared to overcome, and now we're moving in chapter thirteen, which now discusses the oracle of God, the throne of God, and the garden of God. Thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you, Adam.